Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello, welcome to the show. Special show brought to you with Levi Solicitors who will offer you Michael. They'll offer you Michael. <laughs> if you can, yeah, I'll pop round. Not a bother if they tell me to do it, I'll do it. Not um well, you can get a discount, can't you, on yeah. Bill's Probate Conveyancing if yeah. you listen to the Phil Hay Monday Club. Yeah, that's 15%, 10% on all other legal services for you and your business. Um, head over to the Phil Hay Monday Club to get the discount there. Rob's here as well. Hello, Rob. Uh, we just finished recording the um, the special about the appointment of Big Sam, which is not being confirmed yet, we should say, but you know everyone's reporting it. When Fabrizio says, here we go, and Phil's also reporting it, you go, yeah, that's happening. What we do have is news that has just broken minutes ago, uh, yesterday probably, as you... Uh, as you get round to this. Club statement. Leeds United can confirm Victor Orta has left the club by mutual consent. Victor joined the Whites in the summer of 2017 and helped oversee changes at the club that led to Leeds United being promoted back to the Premier League in 2020. Over the years, Victor and his team have been responsible for recruiting players and staff that have gone on to become legends of the club. Owner Andrea Radrazzani said, I am deeply saddened by the way that this chapter closes as Victor has been responsible for some of the best moments of my time as owner of Leeds United and I thank him and his people for all they have done in the past six years. However, it is clear that it's time to change direction and therefore we have agreed that Victor will leave the club. I understand supporters are hurt and upset, but now is a time for unity. We have four cup finals left. Oh no. To play this season and working together, I believe we can survive. Okay. I mean, what's your reaction to that? But let's start with the, some of the wording in that club statement. Is it fair? Is it accurate? How, what was the legends bit? Go over that again. Uh, he, uh, Victor and his team have been responsible for recruiting players and staff that have gone on to become legends of the club. Yeah. Just about okay with that with Bielsa, I suppose. <laughs> I, I think it's, it, it's I was one just, way of putting it. Isn't I was it? just wanting to double check that um, he wasn't referred to himself as a legend, uh, but he wasn't. No, I mean, look. I mean, the one thing to say is like it's never nice when somebody loses yeah. their, their job. No, it, it's not. No, look on a, on a human level. <laughs> no matter what you think of Victor Orta, he is he is a human being and he's got a family and kids and all the rest of it. But equally on the other side of this, it's his job and he's spent an awful lot of other people's money doing his job to a level that you could say is debatable in quality. And also, and I think this applies to Kinnear and Rad Rosani as well, but they've shown a willingness to kind of put themselves front front and centre and make themselves the story at times when things are going well and they've wanted to, you know, they've been shushing fans or swearing at fans or, you know, telling them no Premier League without me and all that. So I sort of think, well... When shit hits the fan, you kind of got to take your licks, haven't you? And I'm almost disappointed that he's not going to be there for the final day of the season to mm-hmm. take whatever comes his way because I just sort of think with all three of them, 
you've shot the bed, now lie in it kind of thing. <laughs> the ship may have quite literally hit the fan if it had, uh, if it had continued his behaviour in the West Stand. He may have been uh, ended up taking a swing at someone, I think, as we were relegated. But it needs to happen, doesn't it? There's too many, there are too many failures on it. It just feels as well like you can almost split out early, early autumn where there was a string of cheap punts and there was the young players that he brought in who all kind of disappeared. I'm thinking like Kunta Menezikov and people like that, that first batch of players. When the, But the reason he needed to do that was that the club's academy had been completely gutted under Chilino. There weren't enough people there to play and certainly not to play at anything like a good enough level. So there was that building up of stuff going on. But then the first round of signings were pretty much failures, weren't there? It was people like, well, Click, who went on to be really good, but like Chibiki and... Um, Ekiban. Ekiban. Like De, uh, Lawrence, Lawrence de Bock, J. Roy Grot, Vernon Anita. It was that first round of players that essentially all failed. And then Bielsa came and it fixed a few of them. Yeah. I mean, the broken toys thing was never more obvious than with someone like Samu Saiz, where Orta's always trying to eke out an angle or some value from a player that has sort of fallen by the wayside. You saw it again in in Mickey Croissants, didn't you, as well, Michael Cuisance. And we nearly ended up on the hook for 20 million quid or thereabouts for him. Mm. Samu Saiz, it's worth saying, was brilliant for like a few months. But but then, of course, <laughs> mentality-wise, it just went off a cliff, didn't it? He wasn't happy, he wasn't settled, he wanted to go home and all that. So, you know, it's, it's that thing about doing the due diligence on the player's character and mm. what his career failures up to that point are going to represent further down the line. And it's the repeating of the same mistakes as well. It was a bit of a mess that first go and then they get Bielsa who kind of coached the talent out of the players that remained as in got the best out of them mm. and had a massive say on the transfer policy which kind of tightened things up slightly. But then, and they're all on record saying Bielsa sorted everything out from mm. the first team to the academy to the transfers to the car park in Thor Parch to where the light switches were. And you think, okay, that's three years for you to learn there. Mm. And then they sacked him and they've just reverted to type of trying to be clever and yeah. it really doesn't work well for them. I, I have completely revised. Now there's some distance between it, 14, 15 months, my opinion of... I knew how good a job Bielsa was doing, but the kind of... Um, but in essence, what the phrase I'm searching for is that he was the one kind of holding back the dam, it feels like now. So now we've seen what's happened since he's gone. As you said, I trusted that they had learned from his example and that the things, the, the, the demands of... I mean, I remember Kinnear saying like, when he came in here that he had kind of levelled up the, the standards and expectations right across the club. And it feels to me like that's just gradually been eroded. So he did, he set the bar so high and then they've all just kind of taken the foot off the gas. Maybe even kind of accidentally, I don't know, they've not even purposefully done it. But seeing as he's kind of not there to to almost be that kind of overbearing paternalistic figure, maybe, maybe that's what we needed. Yeah, and someone, that's what we need. someone who can coach a player as well to actually improve them yeah. is the other thing that's, that's gone. I mean, we talked about this a bit with Marsh saying how maybe his confidence came from the fact that he'd done well in Austria, but the thing that had made him do well in Austria was having Erling Haaland, it was having all the best players in the it, division. It was the system, wasn't it? And it yeah. creates, because you were being successful, you think you are the cause of that success and that maybe you can exist outside of the circumstances of that success. And I think that's possibly what happened with Victor Orta. Because Bielsa was able to come in and turn Click and Alioski into good players and players that fans loved. And I think Orta could be like, well, I told you they were good. Yeah, this was my judgment that brought them here in the first but place. But under, yeah. under different circumstances, we never see them again. They disappear at the end of that summer. Paul Heckingbottom stays 
probably just drift. Alioski maybe stays another year. Click goes off to Holland to live and, and play for the rest of his days. We don't see any of that. So I feel like Alter is probably, I don't know, has he got, has he got ahead of himself? Has he, is he, he's does, got, he, been does, caught, he caught does he kind of think height? he's yeah. developed the Midas touch on this stuff? Well, that, that was the thing with Marsh. You know, if, if the great success under Bielta was Arta just listening to him and doing as he was told. I think he deserves praise for that because he's like, yeah, that was the right thing to do. Mm. But then you saw with the Marsh appointment where the stories of they could have got a more experienced manager but they basically wanted someone learning on the job. And it's mm. like, so Arta could then be the guy who was like, well, no, you're listening to me and I'm doing this. But it, it Did it change that relationship? Yeah, yeah. And, but also like the, the job of a director of football or sporting director is to put a squad in place so it doesn't matter who the manager is and... Mm. That's just not happened at all. We've just wildly veered from one thing to the other, and they're just still chasing their tail after each manager. Yeah, I, that, 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 I was going to. Sorry, Michael, go on. I was going to say I think that's why I'm I'm actually glad to see that he's been sacked or as, as left by mutual consent, whatever it is, because it's it's finally some accountability for it. Because he's he's clearly wanted to shape the squad this way, and I think under Bielsa we saw players almost signed and not signed because. Bielsa didn't want them and so we, we could potentially have an even more Victor Alterish squad if he'd been allowed to do this for longer and it's not worked it's just about accountability yeah mate I said it the other week I, I didn't trust us to go into the summer window with Victor Orta no. with his hands on the purse strings regardless of what that looked like I just did not trust it and, and it's not to say there haven't been some hits in there and somewhere you can see alright this could have worked maybe circumstances have not been ideal for it like I think Sinistera would have been a big hit this year if he'd have been fit and I don't think he had a particularly awful injury record before he came. He did have a serious injury in Holland. Yeah, yeah, he did. All <laughs> oh, right, signed him <laughs> <then>, maybe. <laughs> and the other thing is, people say, oh, "Well, well, what would you have done?" It's like, yeah, but it's not. It's not the job of a fan to go. Oh well, I think I've seen this player in the Swedish second division. He's dead good. You mean you don't have a network of scouting contacts right no, across the globe? But if that is your job, then you, it's only right that people expect you to do it and to a reasonable degree. And you look at some of the the expensive failures. It's the top end of the market where he's completely undone his reputation people I mean John Kevin Augustan being the, the most expensive probably the most expensive player we will ever own temporarily or not own as the case was borrowed well minute for minute minute for minute we yeah. will probably never pay more for a footballer but you look at like I know Rodrigo's done kind of alright but then you look at Ruta so far you look at um, Aronson you look at James you look at Llorente Helder Costa like people who spent a lot of money on over the period of his of his time there and the they're all, they're all sort of six out of tens aren't they that's generous for some of them you know but I mean like you, you can get a, a reasonable Premier League performance out of just of just about most of them but none of them are really game changers and there's none that you know for the money that's spent well look at the money that Brighton have spent for example on players and they've recouped a lot from it as well but because they've put that system in place haven't they that the overarching system at the club does render the coach slightly secondary to what they're trying to achieve. They also went and appointed a good coach. Yeah, I mean, that that is helped. That fundamentally is at the root of all this. And I think it's the reason why, quite obviously through him leaving today, the failure is being squarely levelled at his door. And that, that goes down to the appointment of Marsh, who, regardless of what you think the, the, the merits of Jesse Marsh are, um, Jesse Marsh and Marcelo Bielsa, it's like mixing oil and water. The notion that there was ever mm. an obvious—I mean, I went back and read the the statement that went out at the time, the program notes that Kinnear put in, you know, about the coaching transition and all this—and it reads as delusional now. Obviously, we have the benefit of hindsight, and you know, I appreciate that Kinnear was just—he's got to toe the party line, hasn't he? Because that's kind of his job. 
But it, it reads, it's, it's absolutely batshit mental based on the evidence that we saw with our eyes that the notion that Red Bull football, where you sacrifice possession, was in any way compatible with Bielsa's style of controlling possession. It's a really fundamental difference, mm. isn't it? A really, really obvious one. And I have to say, like, like Moscow did a lot of reading at the time, did a lot of research, watched, watched a hell of a lot of podcasts and videos and stuff, didn't he? And he which he kept, Jesse Marsh did. Yeah, which he did himself. Yeah, but they were out, all out there. The evidence was there. And Moscow said, I'm not convinced it's going to work, but you know, I'll, I'll give it a go. I don't see how these two things are compatible. And he said it at the time to his credit. Mm. Um, and it's proved to be very much the case to me. It just, that, that's where the, the, the folly started with. It's, well, his managerial appointments as a whole, you can take Bielsa out of it and you go, Christensen started well for like a tiny bit out of his depth, hecking bottom, not the right man for it. And then you get into Marsh, which we just discussed there, through to the strange dancing around to trying to get someone better but then ending up with almost appointing Schroeder then appointing Javi now we're into him leaving and you've got to say well yeah there's just a run of complete failures there I mean the Marsh one's the defining one isn't it because those two years overlap with them kind of taking their eye off the ball with Bielsa who as I said they're all on record of saying he fixed everything but you get to that summer after we'd finished ninth and Bielsa's saying there's going to come a point where you change me or you change the players and Basically, Orta's task was to find a better left-back than Gianni Alioski, who was a right-winger, and he found Junior Firpo, mm. and they'd budgeted for a central midfielder, and fair enough, he tried to get Conor Gallagher, who didn't fancy it, but then the backup option was Lewis O'Brien, who both the club and Bielsa seemed to agree wasn't worth what Huddersfield mm. were asking, and then once that wasn't an option, it was like, I don't know, Harry Winks on loan? And Bielsa goes, no, and then it gets to January, no, again, and we no. still need him, and we still need <laughs> midfield, and goes, Harry Winks? Then it's like, you've just... You know, all that time and you just haven't learned well, well, anything. Well, Mark Rocker is the, the latter-day example of this, isn't he? In that, I think we've seen, I can't remember exactly where we've seen it or we've read it, but it's, be, it's been put on record somewhere that, oh, it was all to saying that his biggest transfer achievement was selling Phillips and replacing him with Rocker, wasn't it? Mm. That was it, was El Pais, the um, Spanish newspaper on mm. radio, one of the two, saying that, that he, he thought that was his biggest biggest achievement. And, you know, on the evidence, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Quite frankly, ridiculous. And you wonder, did Rocker feature in the players that was offered to Bielsa and he's gone no I can't run <laughs> quite possible because he can't run yeah I mean in terms of players that can run we can maybe give Alter a pass on Dan James because we do know <laughs> we do know that Bielsa loved him but then the flip side of that is that he completely lacks technical ability mm. as well and and that and on that summer though as well that you know you go back to when we were first promoted and you know we signed a lot of players and then we played that game against Hull in the League Cup where some of the younger players played. Charlie Cresswell made his debut, I think. And like Ollie Casey played, yeah, didn't he? Yeah, and we got battered, basically. But then Orta goes to Bielsa and goes, no, look, you need a center, another centre-half. He is a Spain international. And all right, we can laugh at Urente now, but he was good in that first season and it, it was needed because Robin Cock got injured and Urente came in and we finished ninth. But then where does that ambition go as well? It was like, why the following summer are you not going to Bielsa? He is a central midfielder because mm. you need one. And it just, but we know now that they were talking to Jesse Marsh, and he's looking at Brendan Aronson and trying to sign managers, uh, sign players for the next manager. Mm. I think ultimately that just goes down to poor judgment, doesn't it? And I think that's the reason why he has now been made the fall guy. It's, that's what it, it boils down to nothing more than poor judgment, uh, backed up by a, a degree of hubris. On reflection, as well, trying to sign Brendan Aronson. That, what we know now of Brendan Aronson, trying to sign Brendan Aronson as, as your man for a relegation fight, looks really odd. But they, they didn't think they were going to be in a relegation fight. No, though, but, no, but we, try, we were trying to sign him last January. Last January, we yeah. were already. So they 
they were trying to oh, sign right, yeah, yeah. He was the guy they were trying to bring in for that. And we Which, spent that January trying to sign Aronson when it was pretty apparent that yeah. Leipzig weren't going to sell it. Salzburg weren't going to sell him. Yeah. And, and he is, you know, clearly a talented footballer in there, but it goes back to what we've said in recent weeks about him in that he should probably have been introduced gradually into the Premier League mm. and used a bit more just sparingly to get used to the physicality, build up his minutes, because he is still a young man. Instead, he's kind of been thrust in as this kind of expensive signing because we are still, in many ways, just taking baby steps in the Premier League when it comes to signings like and big money ones over 20 million. We've not made many. There are not that many full stop, really, are there? in the Premier League as such you need to be a little bit smarter and I just don't think we've been smart enough under Orta that, that's what it boils down to poor judgement and then as his judgement started to be questioned it's turned into this kind of ego and arrogance and the shushing people in the director's mm. box which, which I understand on a human level is just a response to being under tremendous pressure and having thousands of people question your professional capabilities but equally I do worry about Orta to an extent in that I think I'm, I'm about six or seven months older than him, something like that. Mm. And he's got absolutely no like emotional control no. over himself. And, and I, like, I'm not giving him, I don't really think he's due a pass on that because look at the context. No, I'm not giving him a pass. I'm just saying I understand it because he's, he's human. But Look he, at the context of those games where he's done it though. It was Brentford. Bournemouth at home, wasn't it? Where well? we scored in the last minute. Pat Bamford came off the bench, scored, injured himself. Who was the replacement striker at that point? I don't think anyone was there. Dan James probably <laughs> Dan James probably so and, and also it's a, it's a scraping a home draw likewise Bournemouth complete fluke that game it was so random I don't I don't know who deserves credit for that Sam Greenwood or someone give it to it's nothing to do with Victor Orta that so don't do it take your medicine if you can't stop shouting at people go watch it on a telly somewhere else go go into the stand and he, watch. he breaks the tellies well go break it away from everyone <laughs> Break your own telly. Stop being a public dick about stuff. And like, and likewise at Brentford on the final game of last season as well, that's when he chose, I know people were singing at him, but that's when he chose to say, oh, 17 years, no Premier League without me. And you think, yeah, well, we're on the verge of relegation today. Yeah. So are we? were, were people on that day supposed to go, well, two years was good. Thanks. Thanks for the two years. Um, and, yeah. now we'll, and now we'll go down again. Because we, you're undoing all, your, all, all I mean, your hard work. Because that day we were odds on to go down that day. It was... We we went into that day in the relegation zone, didn't we? And had circumstances been different, if Burnley managed to get something, or if Canos isn't sent off, or you know, it's a, it was a penalty, wasn't it? The opening, if if Ray doesn't come out and make that rash tackle on Rafinha, there's so many things that can happen during that game. I just don't see how you come out after that. You should come out after that and go, Phew, well, that was close, wasn't it? Fucking hell! Do you remember what you did after that? Grab just like. <laughs> Just ragging Jesse Marsh about pointed at him. He's, he's the guy, yeah. I, I was watching that the other day. I actually ended up feeling sorry for Jesse Marsh watching yeah. it because Marsh was like, Why is the why is this man grabbing me and like slinging me about? I preferred it when we used to talk on Zoom because <laughs> 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 he couldn't physically attack me. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Were you in the studio when... I spoke to Arthur, yeah. Michael. You were there, weren't you? Yeah. Because um, we spoke to him. It's over on. It's on the Phil Hayes show. It's when Phil was off having his head drilled into when he was uh, recovering from that. And we had a. I'm hoping the book me in soon. <laughs> so <laughs> it feels just a some bloodletting. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, a lobotomy would make um, supporting leads a lot easier, wouldn't it? Yeah. When when um, we spoke to him for the Phil Hayes show, and um, it was it was that summer. It was not long after Moscow. I'd interviewed him as well for for the magazine, and they mm. didn't speak particularly about football. Did this so much as like his collecting of football magazines mm. in the past, and then hanging around trying to get autographs, ironically, of um, of his heroes. What what did you make of him when you sat in the same room as him when he came in? I thought he was all right. Very intense. Yeah, um, I can't imagine working with him. But then, you know, I'm probably not the man for that for that job. <laughs> truth be told, so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I agree with. I, I, agree, I, I, I didn't take. I agree a, with the intensity, definitely. I didn't think Kyrgios was a bad person or anything. Yeah, he seemed stressed and intense, is what I would say about him. Which is the way. Maybe I mean maybe that was a preconceived idea. I came into it with. Because, I got that. I got that sense because that yeah. is just the way he does seem to be. I think that just is set is his setting. Yeah, I don't know what he's like with his kids if he's like <laughs> screaming at him about Lego and stuff. But <laughs> presumably there is another side to him. I don't really care about the other side because that's not his job. Yeah. Well, it's, this is why I prefaced what we were saying now with like, you know, he's, he is a human being and I, you know, I found him, I found him quite warm but like you say, he's, he was very, very intense. It's unusual, isn't it? You don't see many other directors of football screaming at people in the stadium. You no, know, what, what you want there, I, I suppose, and maybe this is why we've seen it ultimately go the way it has done, is you want somebody who's a bit cooler, a bit of a step back, who's almost analytical about what they're doing with their job can see the bigger picture, where this squad needs to be in one window's time, two window's time. And I think that was part of his remit, and they did look at that. But so clouded was the whole thing by, mm. I don't know, I guess the hubris maybe fed off the insecurity and the intensity. I don't know. But you, yeah, it's you, hard, do, you do look at it and you think that's not someone who is in control and it will lead to bad decisions, surely. If that's the way you, you do your job, I don't know, maybe there's an argument to say you go off and you calmly reflect and then you do your, doing your other business is completely separate to that heat of a match day but equally you look at it and you think is that the person you want going in to speak to new signings and trying to trying to sell an idea to someone which I mean some reports are that he does a good job of that mm. but these stories it's kind of a repeat of those stories though from when he was at Middlesbrough where there's kind of a lack of control in the end there where the recruitment didn't work and he didn't deal with it very well and there's a story of I can't remember which manager they sat was it Karanka and the following game and it was under Steve Agnew and Middlesbrough lost and Otto was basically demanding to go into the changing room to speak to my mm. fucking players is the quote or something. And you think, yeah, that's not what your job is, quite frankly. No. <laughs> you, you, there does need to be that distance there and there does need to be a cooler head there, which 
doesn't seem to be his strength. Well, we saw that uh, at the 21s game um, down at Walsall against West Brom's 21s. And for reasons I'm not sure of, he was there on the 12th. For reasons I can understand, he was there watching the 21s and he, he probably wanted to see them get promoted. But by the sounds of it, according to reports of people who were around there, he was coaching him as well. And well, and you wonder if he's trod on some toes as well. That's that's kind of beyond his remit, isn't it? Yeah, he was, to be fair to him, he was stood by a fence for the vast majority of the game. And I think for the last five minutes, he might have gone down to the touchline when Leeds were losing by that point. But, but yeah, you, you think we'll leave the coach to do that. Yeah. And I think that's why it comes down to that. I, I kind of like that he's been made accountable for this because you can't, on the one hand, want to play manager and do all your, do almost the champ manager stuff, buying the players and sitting back and going, there you go, perfect. Now you deal with it. And the and the squad we've been left with, I don't think anyone would look at and go, oh, this is a, that's a good squad to work with. It's nicely balanced. There's some talent in it, no doubt, but it's not balanced, is it? No. The, and the, the job of, he was our first director of football, essentially, wasn't it? Yeah. So they, I know we had, under Chilino, we had Salerno sort of did some stuff, but fucking hell, that was just, that was just complete chaos and I think Chilino used to sign half the players himself, didn't he? Because he's like Liam Cooper when he's scoring once and went, well, buy him. That's the guy for me. I'm <laughs> so, not buying him. He's too expensive. Oh shit, we're bad. I buy him. <laughs> I think uh, Salerno's job was to tell people they were sacked, wasn't it? Because yeah. Chilino didn't like doing that himself. Yeah, but I mean, the idea of director of football was that so you don't have in the past like where Warnock came in and you end up with buying players for a particular manager who then the next manager's like, why do I want, why do I need Paul Green and Michael Brown and David Norris, and Michael Tong. Why do I need all these slow central midfielders in my squad? Why do I need Luke Varney and all, like Steve Morrison? What, what the fuck am I meant to do with him? The idea is that a director of football is that through managerial transitions, it's all been building nicely in the background and someone else can come in and go, right, okay, there's loads to work with there. There's experience in this position, there's some youth prospects here, and I still feel like we're a million miles off yeah, the sort that, of balance that we need. That links with the kind of the complete delusion under Marsh that it was going to work and be fine because while Bielsa was in charge he's chatting to Marsh for two years and having his successor lined up and then despite the very shaky end to last season he never seems to have had a succession plan nor the first half of this season up until the World Cup break even though Marsh seemed to be on the verge at some points or he should have been and then the story Max Verber tells about joining Leeds is that Jesse Marsh rang him up basically around Christmas and said do you fancy it because if you do I'm going to put pressure on the sporting director to sign you so again it's it's Marsh making that decision mm. it's probably one of the few good ones he made but then you sack Marsh once the January transfer window closes and you try to find a new manager for this squad you've just built for a manager who never really made it work mm. but you've never and, but you've never had a succession plan to uh, him well, either it, it all speaks to a, a plan not in place above Victor Orta and too much power being concentrated in his hands yeah. like your, he, your job in his position is the bigger picture yeah and when you step back and look at the bigger picture, you just go, fucking hell, who's done this? <laughs> yeah. And then Victor Alt seems to have taken a step back and gone, well, it's not my fault. And it's like, well, no, it kind of is. And, it, and, and I suppose ultimately then, going up the chain, if he's been allowed to create this shambolic bigger picture, who's allowed him to do it? Yeah. And whose job is it? Like, does Kinnear get to sack him? Does Radrazani get to sack him? Do the 49ers get to sack him? Like, at some point, someone maybe should have stepped in. I've said this before, that it doesn't feel like there's a huge amount of not that you want dissenting voices at a club because obviously you don't want like your chairman and your director of football going at each other but it feels like Victor Alter has been the football man in there almost alone for yeah. a long time and so if he says something no one else can really argue against him because he knows more than them but maybe his judgement isn't good enough 
exactly. That's to make a, all of these decisions. Exactly how I feel about it, yeah. Ultimately, he's had so much power concentrated in his hands, but at the root of it, his judgment has just not been good enough. Not for the area that we've been shopping in and with the amount of money that we've got. If you can afford to waste 30, 35 million pounds on a player because you're seventh every year. Should have got that Chelsea job, shouldn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he could have squandered all that money. But if, you, if, you, if you're seventh every year, there's so little jeopardy baked into it because you're not going to go down. Whereas we were, we were never, ever secure in this division, but the ninth place to finish made them believe that they were. But then again, we saw we had the warning last year, as you say. So to then repeat the same mistake is... It's unforgivable in in my eyes, and uh, well, well, they thought they weren't. And in, and in fairness, to come up to to criticise ourselves a bit, I guess we looked at our summer business and went, okay, well, it seems it does seem sort of sensible getting more getting a central midfielder at last in Tyler Adams. That seems a good idea. Rocker as an additional body in there, so we've we've kind of covered that off. I know we'd lost Calvin, but that was a position we needed covering. And then a right back, yeah, Ailing's getting on. Rasmus Christensen is an international. He's been playing. He knows the manager. Brendan Aronson, USA international, young player, played in the Champions League. They all seemed, it all seemed fine on paper. But the, when it when it comes off the paper, you need that's when all the, all that's, the, when, that's when your judgment essentially. I was going to say all those judgments, is, Michael, were formed based on wishful thinking, though, because we don't, as you said before, yeah. it's not our job to do this. We're just going, oh well, on the surface it looks like that's a good move. In the same way that when we signed Ruta, you go, oh well, on the surface that's a good move. I mean, I will. My policy since last summer has been, if we've been linked with anyone, I've said yes, we should sign them. Yeah almost as a joke, because I don't know. Yeah. Like, you go on YouTube, don't you? And you go, yeah, unless we're, unless we're all of a sudden going to sign, like, you know, a, a Premier League player who I might have watched a dozen times in the past year, I don't know if they're any good. Mm. And we don't sign those players. So, yeah, and then, but then you see the evidence of what happens on the pitch, and then we get the benefit of hindsight, don't we? Which is where we can now form this judgment from. And unfortunately, that's it. The, the accountability always comes with the benefit of of hindsight and yeah. like the fact that for example Christensen is just not good enough is he yeah you've got to make you've got to and Furpo as well at the start of the summer Victor Otter said I believe these players are good enough to do these jobs and keepers in the league and now you can look at them and go mm, maybe one or two of them but we can only comment on what we've seen like you say mm. it's not our job to travel around Europe watching these players well Victor Otter's on his way out I do feel where I do feel a bit sorry for him I do feel like given the timing of it <laughs> he's been like thrown to the wolves a little bit here it's a bit like um, would you mind just look at him it's a complete sacrificial lamb isn't look, it look at him he was probably going to go in summer anyway given the way everything's going but you do the, doing it now is pretty much they've gone uh, that guy did it which is not true well it is true but it's he's part of a team isn't he who would be making decisions so to it feels like they've very much pinned this on him and Javi and then it's like well let's get behind the lads for yeah. the last few games, eh? And it's, it is worth saying as well, just going back to Schroeder, and it's a point we've touched on, I think, in recent weeks, that ultimately, I don't know anything about Alfred Schroeder, but I did see the reaction of the, the Ajax fans, and really, that the outcry there, was a, it was a reflection on the judgment of Victor Orta, wasn't mm. it? It was a, we don't trust you to make this appointment. And clearly, the club didn't trust themselves. If they had had any conviction in their mm. own ideas, they would have hired him. Yeah. Because they're the experts, supposedly, but clearly not. Mm. So Otto leaves. Um, as you say, it's it was going to happen anyway. It, it probably makes very little difference to the outcome of this season. But I will say this: that Big Sam does not feel I, I like a Victor Otto appointment to you, does it? No, I don't. A banner made and everything. My altar out banner. It's all, all going to be wasted now. <laughs> I was, there is on Waco. There is a, a a current fundraiser going on to get a banner, and the design's been going on. And there have been altar out ones, and I thought, ah, oh, I hope they haven't made one yet. I do think with that. I know he's become the, the the face of all the frustration, but it is a shared thing of the board 
Mm. And, and ultimately, Rad resigned because he's the owner. Like, yeah, I saw that and thought, oh, well, well I think the, mm-hmm. what we were saying about the, the tweets, the DMs to Conor McGilligan, mm. that's what's happened here, isn't it? This is the this is the actual outcome of of what he was saying there about it being shit and making pod decisions. And eventually, Rad Rizani is just going to sack everyone else. <laughs> and, every, and he's going to be like well, why are you shouting at me so you're the only one left <laughs> it points to me to a man who is getting his final swings in before he leaves whether he sticks around in the summer if we go down I wouldn't like to say right now to be perfectly honest no. but as we understand it like the, the deal to take over is if we stay up then it's done if not Radrazani might not want to sell there's a get out clause the, the sale is off so should have sold when he had the chance <laughs> yeah um, which I'm sure is what he's telling himself but maybe maybe now is the time Given that such change, I mean, no. Do you now trust Radrazani to employ somebody better than Orta? Is he going to have the stomach for doing it? I don't know. Well, will it be even him that? Well, that's what I'm saying. Who hires him now? Well, that's what I'm saying. Is it, it does it does it point to the change coming in the summer anyway? In that he goes, I've had a run at this. I don't have the stomach for it anymore. It's time to let somebody else have a go. Maybe he does tweak the deal with 49ers Enterprises where he sells at a lower price in the summer and there's a bonus upon promotion. Maybe something like that. And is it and if. Whose job is it to appoint someone now? Well, you, you would imagine if if it does go towards the 49ers, then it's Marate and is it Colin Meader, who's his, his right-hand man? I gather those are the two that are going to be running the show. So, Because presumably they will have spoken to people for succession planning, if nothing else, even if they didn't think necessarily Victor was going to go now. God, they've had long enough to come up with some ideas, haven't they? That's what that, I mean. That's like, why, there, yeah. must be, there must be some stuff half lined up in the background, but whether or not it's all contingent upon Premier League football. In some ways, it's, it's the most important job at the club, isn't it? Because managers... As we've seen, they change all the time. You need a, a good director of football seems to set a tone for stuff. I, th- mm. I think that's why I'm almost intrigued by the prospects of relegation now because I think we will get to find out whether the 49ers are asked about owning Leeds United or just asked about owning a Premier League club. Mm. And in which case, I'd rather have someone who's asked about owning Leeds United. Go and buy Luton. <laughs> London Luton, no less. <laughs> I know someone who might fancy a job there. <laughs> but I get the other side to that is... Andre Rajazani's stomach for hanging on, as we we're just saying there. Like, is he is he willing to sell, given the financial losses that he potentially incurs from selling in the summer versus a, selling a Premier League club? It's intriguing, isn't it? I never understand rich people, though. No, he was, he was already rich. Why are you fucking bothering? <laughs> <laughs> I just think this. I just think this with Bates when he was like clinging on. You think you're a, you're a fucking millionaire in his eight in your eighties? Go put status and go profile. Put your feet up, you weirdo. His status and profile and audience, isn't it? It is like after we stayed up last season, you're like, God, that must have been really stressful for them. You just think, just take the money and like go live on the beach, you weirdo. What's wrong with you? Football's exciting though, isn't it? It's an exciting business, even even if it's just full go, of, yeah, full of stress. Su- just go support a team. <laughs> get a Juventus season ticket. It's exciting, exactly. isn't it? No, he probably likes mixing in the boardrooms and you know drinking the champagne and hobnobbing with people who are perceived as important within within football, don't you? Which is probably why he's eyeballing another club. So he can go do that. Surely he can do that in his role with the zone or whatever, though. Yeah, just right. just sponsor some shit. <laughs> sponsor the match ball <laughs> in the old-fashioned way. I mean, we'll do what for ten grand a show. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Levi's. We do love you, but <laughs> that'll, uh, that'll cover Michael's appearance fee, won't it? <laughs> well, there you go. Let's wrap it up then. Um, Victor Otto leaves Leeds. Um, I dare say there'll be more stuff happening in the in the forthcoming weeks. So we will we'll be here to cover it all off and uh, strap in. Some nice dual role. <laughs> if, I, if, I, if there's a man I trust with the purse strings uh, one of my mates did just, big Sam one of my mates just did message me says he says one thing I do beg you if this goes well to get him on the podcast fucking imagine it <laughs> he won't come on here he's got um, pints of wine all around <laughs> I do admire the pints of wine yeah. have you ever had a pint of wine um, 
I do remember when we were at the uh, we went to the FSA Awards. Just was it just before Christmas? Mm. When the it was just before the World Cup, wasn't it? Actually, it was November. And because it was free wine, and I'm from Yorkshire, picking up a glass of wine that was on the table and throwing it down my neck because it was like free, and we were leaving. Got to get me money's worth. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> Can you fault Big Sam really? Well, we're about to find out. Right, we'll wrap it up there. We'll speak to you soon. The Square Ball Podcast. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 